Everyone who's had a uh, little kid in their house knows the challenge of trying to teach them to help with different chores and tasks. And the smaller they are, uh, the more time it takes to actually tell them how to help and how you need their help. And with uh, Aiden being four years old, um, he wants to help. He started to actually desire that, which is great. You know, we want to capitalize on that. Um, but one thing he, he hasn't figured out yet is that when getting clothes out of the laundry that have just been cleaned, your hands need to be clean. Um, we're, we're all the time, you know, saying, well, stop, stop, don't get those clothes out. We've just cleaned them because his hands have like chocolate or peanut butter or mud or something. And he hasn't quite made that connection that clean clothes don't automatically make my hands clean. Rather, dirty hands will inevitably make all the clean clothes, not that way. He hasn't quite made that connection, so we're working on him in that way. And um, sometimes, still with the girls, it doesn't happen nearly as much now as it did before, but we were, we were, especially in the earlier years, having to say, well, wait, don't put those dishes in the dishwasher. Those are all clean dishes, because the dirty dish would try to, to get into you know, the, the clean dishes. And amazing, but um, it just never has ever happened that the clean dishes suddenly magically make the dirty dishes clean, right? It just, man, wouldn't that be nice if that's how it worked? You just touch the dirty dish on the clean dish and poof, bing! Everything was nice and sparkly and clean and sanitized. That'd be wonderful. But it, it doesn't work that way. The dirty affects the clean, always, and it's never the other way around. The clean never just magically takes away uh, the, the dirtiness of anything. So keep that in mind, keep that in mind uh, as we dive into this final message from Haggai to the people of Judah, as we wrap up the study in Haggai, and uh, that's going to be the second to last of our summer reading list studies. We'll be jumping into Jonah starting next week. We'll finish up through August with that. Um, but this morning we're going to look at the final message that the that Lord gave through his servant Haggai to his people in Judah. And um, we're going to be looking, we're going to be focusing on Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 14 today. Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. So uh, hopefully you're there with me and let's jump into that together. Haggai 2, 10 through 14. Word of God says this. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, which is two months after the previous mostly uplifting, encouraging message that we considered last time we were together. So this is two months after the previous message. So in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of armies says. Ask the priests for a ruling. Verse 12, here's the the question that God wants Haggai to ask them and what he is asking through them, and here's the, the ruling that he's asking for. If a man is carrying consecrated meat, holy meat, okay, In the fold of his garment, and it touches, makes contact with bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food, does it 
become holy? In other words, does the, the bread or the stew or the wine, the oil or any other food that this consecrated, set-apart, holy meat touches, do any of those things become holy by contact? And the priest answered, no. Verse 13, then Haggai asked, okay, if someone defiled by contact with a corpse touches any of these, those previous mentioned things, does it become defiled at that point? The priest answered, it becomes defiled. Yeah, absolutely it would. And this is all according to the Levitical law, okay? There were, there were regulations and standards and, and very specific things about what can come in contact with what and, and how things become clean and unclean. So they definitely knew exactly uh, where Haggai was going with this, what he was referring to. And so in response to those answers, verse 14, then Haggai replied, So is this people... And so is this nation before me. This is the Lord's declaration. And so is every work of their hands. Remember what they were doing. They were rebuilding the temple. They were restoring the temple. That was the work of their hands. And, he goes on, even what they offer there is defiled. Remember, they have an altar. They're rebuilding the temple, all for for the sacrifices to resume, for worship to resume. That's what they're doing. God brought them back mainly for that purpose. They finally have responded to that call after sitting dormant, you know, for for years. They finally responded and said, yeah, we need to do this. They're doing that work. Last time we saw that God was encouraging that work because though they started, they they immediately became um, disillusioned and discouraged. And so he was building them up. He said, remember, keep working. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm working in you and through you. Keep at it. Be strong. But now, two months later, there's this scolding message that came in the form of of a parable. You know, what, what Haggai does here, what God does through him with the, the priests, the experts of the law, is very similar to what Jesus often did, where he challenged them through questions. And they, you know, they would question him, and he would turn around and ask them a question to answer. And, and he, he used parables, and, and that's really what he did to, to challenge their thinking. That's what's happening here. God is saying, I want you to go to the priests who represent the people, And I want you to ask them these these questions. Ask them about defilement. Ask them about what makes something clean and what makes something unclean. And then as they answer rightly, you know, that something that's set apart doesn't just magically, automatically, you know, make make something else that it touches clean and holy and and vice versa. If, If something is defiled, that everything else it touches then becomes defiled. He says that's exactly how it is with all of this people. That's the, that's the predicament they're in. That's what's true of them. That's my, my diagnosis of the heart and the condition of all these people. And everything they do then, their work they're doing for me, the sacrifices they're offering to me, all of that is, is useless. It's no good before me. It's corrupt. It's polluted. It's tainted. 
It's defiled because they are tainted and corrupt and defiled. So is this people and so is this nation before me. Wow. <laughs> Ouch. That hurts. That is, that is a pretty stinging statement, right? And what's kind of going on behind the scenes with that is that since the exile to Babylon, ever since that happened, the people of Israel were, were focused on getting back to the promised land. And in and of itself, wasn't a bad focus. That wasn't a bad goal to have. Uh, but apparently, you can kind of infer here that that led them to thinking once they made it back to the promised land, like, oh, if I could just get back to the promised land, then everything is going to be fine. Everything will just fall into place if I'm back there. Location, location, location. That, you know, once we get back there, um, man, we'll just, we'll just be able to, to just kind of be on autopilot. And, and everything just by default will go well. We won't have to really try hard. It'll just kind of have an effect on us because we'll be in the Holy Land. And all that holiness will just kind of seep into us and we'll just be saturated by it. We don't really have to, to pursue anything. We don't have to really be intentional or strategic. Everything will just be what it should be. Good thing we don't struggle with that thinking today, right? Wink, wink, wink. (laughs) If only that were true, that we didn't have the same kind of mindset from time to time. But of course that's that's still a problem for us from time to time. Uh, We justify all kinds of things by simply falling back on some kind of a religious foundation. You know, uh, we, we say things culturally, in society, we say things like, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm good with God because I come to church. I go to church. So I'm good. I'm good with God. That's what makes me a Christian. Or um, I, I'm even a Baptist. I don't just come to church. I'm a Baptist. So I get even more points for that. Or I volunteer from time to time in the church and in the community. I mean, I give my time, so God looks favorably on that. I'm good with them. Or I occasionally donate some money when I have, you know, extra lying around. Um, I I give to the church, you know, I give to nonprofits, I I give to charity, and so on and so on and so on. I mean, it's, it's a very pervasive thing. Um, that many, many people attach their standing before God and they attach the Christian label to their life because of, of things like that or because they grew up that way. You know, uh, I, I've talked to many people throughout the years of ministry I've been in that, that base their uh, religious affiliation with family heritage. You know, I, I grew up such and such, so therefore I am. Uh, and so many people uh, just fall back on, on some sort of faulty foundation like that. And apparently, the returned exiles of Judah were kind of doing the same thing. And, and they had somehow tainted their work and their worship before God. 
Maybe it was by apathy and laziness, you know, just kind of resting on their laurels. Hey, we're back. We're doing this work. Uh, we're doing what God wanted us to do. We're good. We can just take it easy now. Maybe they, they just got tired of, of uh, all the routine and the work and, and I don't know, apathy, laziness that set in. Um, maybe it was by cutting corners. You know, perhaps they weren't uh, careful to follow the guidelines established by God for worshiping and serving Him the right way. Uh, you know, maybe they, they reduced uh, their worship and their service to empty routine and tradition and passionless duty, just going through the motions. Or maybe they even started to once again mix in idolatry with their worship of God. Unlike any of us are ever guilty of, right? Again, wink, wink, smirk, smirk. You know, insert the roll of the eyes here. Um, Because, of course, if we're honest, if we're brutally honest... And we respond to, to God saying, uh, wait a second, we'll have to agree that, yeah, we too can be very, very guilty of the same kind of possibilities for, for Judah's tainted work and worship. We can do the same thing, and often we do. Often we do. We allow apathy or laziness to set in, you know? Uh, often we will cut corners and kind of just do the minimum just enough to get by. There, there's no determination to, to what we do sometimes. We just go through the motions. Sometimes uh, all that we do as Christians, all that we do as part of the church, if we're honest, it comes down really to empty tradition and ritual and passionless duty rather than, than the, the pursuit of our heart and our mind and our lives, rather than being what we're passionate about. You know, our worship of God and our, our service to God can become just void of any passion and any joy and any intentionality. We just get comfortable and we coast much of the time. Well, the text doesn't really cover... Uh, the specifics uh, as far as what exactly is going on here. Um, but whatever sin that the people were guilty of um, in detail that Haggai is confronting here, I, I think it's pretty easy to see from the things that he's previously addressed that we've looked at throughout this little book. And what God is saying to the people now, I think it's clear to see that they weren't addressing and dealing with the sin present in their lives. They were unrepentant. It's really what it all boils down to. That's a really good summary of everything that is going on here in the people of Judah, in their lives, in their hearts, in their work, in their worship. They were unrepentant and therefore unclean, impure before God. And therefore... So was whatever they attempted to do or offer before God. No matter how right it was, 
that they were doing the work and the service before God, no matter how right it was that they were offering sacrifices, it's not that the acts themselves were wrong. It's that there was no purity or holiness behind the acts because the hearts of the people doing them were not holy and were not pure. Is that true of us? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. I have to ask that of me individually. You have to ask that of yourself individually. Together we have to ask that collectively as the body, as the church. Is that true of us? We need to keep evaluating and examining our hearts in that way and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us if that's true of us. He knows. And so we need to ask him. Make that clear to us. Tell us, is is that true of us? We don't want to be like the people of Judah were because obviously at this point they were blind or numb to the facts. That's why God had to come before them and, and through Haggai say this to them in the way in which he did it. They were either blind or numb or both to what was really going on beneath the surface. And it's safe to assume, just from what we're seeing here and reading, it's safe to assume that they viewed their act of, of getting the temple started, going through the sacrificial um, systems and rituals, and being back where they needed to be, all that as being enough, you know, and, and that God approved of them just by default, automatically. Uh, they could now just do what they wanted and how they wanted to do it because, hey, they came back after all. I mean, they came back. The rest of the people, they stayed in Babylon. We're the, we're the elite, you know? We're the remnant. We came back. The others didn't. That's got to count for something. I mean, we're restoring the temple. And with it, the, the proper temple worship. Organized religion is back. Yay! <laughs> they were in the Holy Land doing holy work. But here's the thing about all that. To be spiritually pure, we need more than just a good environment and good work. To be spiritually pure, really, truly spiritually pure, we need more than just a good environment or a holy environment and more than just good or holy work. It it takes more than that. There's more involved in that. And because of that fact... Living in the promised land, working on the temple, you know, offering sacrifices, all of that while good, it would not by themselves or in and of itself make the people pure or holy as long as they themselves run clean through undealt with sin and unrepentant hearts. No matter how good all that stuff was. And so Haggai's message to them, and God's message through Haggai to them, is this. Doing holy things won't magically make holy people. And we need to remember that ourselves, church. We need to keep that in mind for us, for for what we're doing, and for, for where we are in our lives today, right now. Doing holy things won't magically make holy people. So you can't count on your works of righteousness and your, your holy works and, and coming to, you know, quote, holy gatherings 
to make you intrinsically, automatically holy. It just doesn't work that way. You can't base your personal purity on that. The reason is because only the Holy Spirit makes holy people. Only the Holy Spirit makes holy people. Only the Holy Spirit works holiness into someone and brings holiness into a life. And He does that through commitment to Christ as Savior and Lord. That's where holiness begins. It's not in doing anything or, or avoiding doing things. That's not where, where holiness comes from. Holiness comes from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit. And to think that religious observance or holy acts, such as coming to church or going on a missions trip or volunteering in a ministry at church, all while good things, but to think that that somehow makes you pure or makes a person pure and and cancels out sin's pollution... That kind of thinking makes about as much sense as thinking that when you have a cold or something, that just by going over and hanging out and hanging around uh, a totally healthy person will automatically just get rid of your sickness. makes about as much sense as that. Or that by spending time with a professional athlete will just magically give you a better jump shot or a golf swing. If wishing made it so, right? But it doesn't work that way. Of course not. Ludicrous to think that way. And it makes just about as much sense to equate religious performance with purity. It just doesn't happen. But sadly, that's the very deception that we humans have fallen for all throughout our, our history. We foolishly believed that as as being reality. And we are, I mean, let's just be honest, we are especially good at that here in the United States. We are really good at, at that deception. I mean, we've turned that approach uh, it, to Christianity into an art form. <laughs> it's cultural Christianity. It's convenient Christianity. You know, in other words, I'll call myself a Christian and I'll do Christian things so long as it's easy for me. So long as it's comfortable. So long as it fits within my overall schedule and my overall agenda and my overall personal plan for life. As long as all of that fits together, I'm good with Jesus. I'm good with the church. As long as it doesn't cross over into the the boundaries and the borders that I've set up. As long as it doesn't step on my toes too much. As long as it doesn't demand something of me that I'm not willing to give. As long as it doesn't call for sacrifice. As long as it doesn't invade every dark corner of my life and, and clean all that out. As long as it's not painful. As long as it's not messy, I'm good. It's cultural Christianity. It's convenient Christianity. But it is not biblical or authentic Christianity. And it's that kind of thing that Jesus rightly accused the Pharisees of in Matthew 15.8 when he applied this quote from Isaiah to them. This people 
honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It was true of the people of Judah. It's true of this nation. Is it true of us? Again, again, that's the hard question that we have to ask. And not just once. Continually, we have to ask that question of ourselves, introspectively. I have to come before God and say, is that true of me? Am I guilty of doing lip service, saying the right things, talking the right talk, but is my walk suffering? Is my walk lacking? Are they not matching? Am I guilty, Lord, before you of, of honoring you with my lips, but, but my heart being far from you? We need to all, as true believers, say to God constantly what David said to him, search me and know me, O God. Search my heart. See if there is any offensive way before you in me. Get rid of that and lead me in the way everlasting. needs to be constantly on our lips from our hearts. That kind of approach to Christianity, quote, quote, is what Paul said in in 2 Timothy 3.5 about people in the early church that claimed to be followers of Christ, but whose lifestyles and characters uh, did not match that at all. He said, people like that have a form of godliness, but deny or fail to apply its power. What a miserable place to be. What a a self-deception that is. Oh, may it not be true of us. May it not be true of us. Church, here's the thing. Here's what all that means. God is not impressed or fooled by a good performance. God is not impressed or fooled by a good performance. And there's a lot of people who can do a really good job of performing and play acting. There's a lot of people who can do a great job of appearing to be right with God and right standing with Him to be, you know, a good Christian. Maybe you're so good at it, you fooled yourself along with everyone else. But no matter how you fool everyone else out there around you, no matter how you might even fool yourself, you will never fool God and you will never impress Him with how good of an actor you are. That will never happen. Here's what Hebrews 4.13 says. No creature is hidden from Him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we, all of us, everyone, must Give an account. That means it's not enough to just say, I'm a pastor. It's not enough to just say, I'm a missionary. It's not enough to just say, I'm a Christian school teacher. It's not enough to just say, I'm a Sunday school teacher. It's not enough to say, I'm a deacon or elder or trustee. It's not enough to say, I'm a member at Faith Baptist Church. None of that by itself, on its own standing, equals purity and holiness before God. None of it does. Righteousness cannot come from what a person does for God. It comes from what God did 
by His Son through His Spirit, and it happens in the heart of a person. It happens, righteousness happens, when we realize and believe that we can never be good enough, pure enough, holy enough, by anything we do, and yet God loved us in spite of that. So much so that He gave His Son as our atoning sacrifice to become sin for us all so that we could actually become righteousness before Him. So all that we do for God should flow from our love for Him. From a heart full of never-ending gratitude for all He did for us. Oh, church, let's remember, let's believe, let's keep coming back to the, the fact that, that purity and holiness cannot be achieved by religious acts or participation in ritual or tradition. There's, there's good to be found in those things, sure. But they will never be a substitute for surrender to the Lordship of Jesus and a personal relationship with Him. And so we need to evaluate and to examine ourselves personally to make sure that's our foundation, that 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 lordship of Jesus over our lives and our relationship to Him, that that's our foundation, that that's true for us. And then from that point, as we go forward in our life and our service for Christ, then we have to be constantly aware of any sin and idolatry in our life. And invite the Holy Spirit in to do His examining work of of any sin that's there and any idolatry that's there that that either we're not aware of or that we have refused to acknowledge. And then we remove it. We get rid of it. And as we do that individually, listen, listen, as we do that individually, personally, then our church as a whole will be strong and effective for Christ and His kingdom. Because after all, the church, the church is made up of individual believers. Therefore, its health, the church's overall health, is tied to the health of its individual parts. That's why examination and evaluation is so important, so vital, and needs to continually happen. Is that true of us? Are we doing that? Am I doing that? Are you doing that? Are we together doing that? Are we pursuing true purity and holiness? As can only be found through the Holy Spirit by relationship with Jesus Christ and His Lordship over our lives. That's the question for all of us. Pray with me. If you're here today and you're not someone who has ever at any point in their life committed the whole of your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, you will never, no matter how hard you try, you will never achieve 
personal holiness or purity before him. And therefore, nothing you try to do for him will amount to being approved by him. Nothing you do will be accepted by him unless you have accepted his son as your savior. So I have to ask you, does that describe you here today? Is there someone here in our midst that would say, in all honesty, no, I have never committed my life to Jesus Christ. I cannot say in honesty, He is my Savior and Lord, but I really want Him to be today. I want to go forward from this point, the rest of my life, truly knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord, and I want to serve Him with my life. I want to be accepted by God as clean, not as unclean. I want to be pure before Him. Is there anyone who would say, yes, Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me along those lines? I need that. Is there anybody at all who would say that? Yeah, that's me. Anybody at all? Okay. Then, believer, my question for you, and I don't need a response to this, it's just a, it's a reflective question. Is there any area in your life that right now before God, He would have to declare unclean over? Chances are, yeah, because you know what? We're fallen. We're human. Even though we are saved, we're still in this skin that is bent hopelessly toward sin in and of itself. It's why we constantly need the power of the Spirit to resist that sin. The problem is we fail to choose that power that's, that's with us and in us through our relationship with Christ. So chances are at some point and in some way, yeah, we're going to be unclean. The question then becomes, what are we doing about it? Are we dealing with it? Are we repenting of it? Are we turning from that and turning back towards righteousness and holiness as given to us through Christ? So if there's an area in your life that this morning the Holy Spirit has convicted you of that you've not dealt with, that you're holding on and, and it's unconfessed, it's unrepented, He's worked in your heart in that way, there's no need to wait or to delay or to ignore that. Just go ahead and confess that to Him. The Bible promises us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin to Him, which He already knows about, that means we agree with Him about that sin, we admit it, we acknowledge it, if we confess that, the Bible says He is faithful and just, that means fair, to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a beautiful, wonderful promise. So maybe you need to do that right now, where you're at. Whatever the, the case is, whatever God has worked in your heart, in whatever area, acknowledge it, yield to it, embrace it. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Haggai's faithfulness to you. I thank you for his faithfulness to the messages you gave him. As hard as they were for him, I'm sure, to give to the people of Judah, as tough as those things were, he was faithful to your word. He was faithful to be used of you, and you did use him. And thank you so much for, for his ministry. Thank you for what we are able to gain and, and, and grab onto from what he said to Judah. It's so relevant to us. It's so applicable, as all of your word is. And as we have found ourselves in Judah's place throughout this study, and particularly today, if there's any way that, that we as individuals or we as a church corporately 
are guilty of the same thing Judah was. I pray, Father, I pray for myself, I pray for my fellow believers, I pray for our church, that we would be repentant people, that we would not harbor sin in our minds or our hearts, in our lives or in our church, and and be just as guilty as what Achan did. And that we would not see the sin of, of our unrepentant hearts affect this ministry and, and the work of your kingdom that you're desiring to do here. Help us to truly be holy and pure before you. And help us to depend on the power of your Holy Spirit that we have through Christ. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.